um, this one teacher, uh, Farmer Rishi, um, he has brought me back to uh, knowing that I am not separate from nature. So even if I am a, a monk in an urban environment that, or, you know, there's no, you know, quote unquote nature in the city that actually I connect with nature every day because I myself am nature and I'm always surrounded by nature and there's no such thing as artificial. Everything in this world comes from nature and is nature. everybody. Welcome to Movement Matters. My guest today is Jeffrey Mateus, good friend that I've, I forget how long I've known him, a couple of years now. We met in a way which we don't really get into. Uh, we met through an old colleague of mine, and the overlap was this tool or this method called the happy body. It's a pretty groovy tool. It's a pretty groovy method. Um, let's see. Their names are Jersey and Aniella. Aniella and Jersey Gregorick. They developed the method and they came up with this on their own. And it's it seems to be working for a lot of people. And I got a lot of value out of learning it for a couple of years and out of meeting Jersey and Aniella. And the perhaps best part is I got to develop a good friendship with Jeff. Unfortunately, Jeff now lives in Rhode Island, much to my dismay. He's no longer in Philly, so I don't get to see him as much. But we did get to catch up here, and a lot of what you're hearing is, you're going to hear, is us catching up um, and getting into some fun stuff, to say the least. We've been, we've been chatting more and more uh, over the last few weeks, and especially uh, you're going to hear us talking about how he's in this uh, consciousness training right now and that's a big part of that's a big theme here um it's funny when we were talking about what we were going to talk about he uh, he said i'm just going to prime my heart <laughs> he's going to prime his heart which made me very <laughs> made me chuckle like it just did again i love that a guy tells me he's going to prime his heart for a conversation together it's pretty fun i'm sort of building up here in the intro because i know this is going to be one of the longer intros try not to skip ahead if you're listening or, well obviously you're listening try not to skip ahead i think you're going to appreciate this preface there's a couple elements to it a couple layers uh, we'll come back to the specifics about jeff in the in the end of the intro here i want to start by something by saying something that might seem a little harsh or a little um, surprising, we'll say, but it could come off as harsh. It has to do with parenting and it has to do with opinions. And the thoughts that I'm, or what I'm about to share kind of was birthed out of the conversation, actually the post-conversation with Jeff. It's not to do with Jeff at all, really. It's more to do with some of the content that we get into, namely about gender. Um, Gender is not a topic that I, quite frankly, like talking about. I think 
there's very little about it that I, well, you're going to hear, but it's not a, there's nothing, there's no hill that I want to die on with respect to gender. There's no um, really significant perspective that I bring to the table, in my opinion, so to speak. But if presented with a point of view, I think it's imperative to respond and to ha and to um, shape your own thoughts around it. And I was presented with something after the conversation, and I want to just add this preface for your sake, and mostly to catalyze more conversation. I think anytime we're talking about something as potentially loaded as gender, we have to agree on terms. We have to, or the onus is upon all of us to come to the table, put down our, uh, <laughs> um, put all our cards on the table and see what we can see in a new way together. Just to say, not get too caught up in our, what we are bringing to the table, our point of view or our opinions. I guess I'm a little nervous about saying the harsh thing because I don't want it to seem like I'm criticizing anyone, but and I'm, I don't think I am. But with regard to parenting, I love parenting. Uh, I look at parenting as the primary form of teaching that we take on as mature humans and adults. We're guiding, and that's that's critical. Mostly, we're providing a template for what we understand thus far, primarily, I think, so that our children can improve upon it. They can take it and they can see what's valuable. Like they can see what we think is valuable. They can discern what they still think is valuable and they can improve upon it. It's not, this is the way it is, conform. That's, that's probably not healthy for anybody. But there is a need to provide a foundation and a context one that is meant to evolve and change, I think, but still a foundation. I think that's the job of a parent. And the onus is on parents to do that well, not just to outsource that, but to do that well, both in terms of how you represent yourself, how you represent your relationships with others, how you um, run the family, run the household, et cetera, et cetera, all of it. So... <laughs> So if Griffin presents an opinion to me and I know he's wrong, I am going to make it clear to him in a tactful way that he's wrong. And if he continues to be attached to his opinion, excessively attached to it, as if to suggest that he has a right to his opinion because that's what matters most, is your opinion. I am going to make sure he understands that that's not valuable to me and in this household, and I think, period, it's not valuable. Your opinion is only as valuable as you can verify and um, relate it to the larger world and the larger narrative. I think it's really important that we all strive to do that for ourselves. 
I don't value my opinions. And if I really have vetted them and been discerning and explored something, it's really not an opinion at that point. If I still inherently sort of believe it, it becomes a form of knowledge. There's a great quote, which funny enough, just randomly came to me about, well, sometimes this afternoon. It's, guy, it's a by Bill Bullard, um, who I don't know, by the way. Opinion is really the lowest form of human, human knowledge. It requires no accountability, no understanding. The highest form of knowledge is actually empathy, for it requires us to surrender our egos and live in another's world. It requires profound purpose larger than the self kind of understanding. Now, the main thing there is, I agree, opinion is a low form of human knowledge. It's childish at best if you're attached to it. That's the preface to a kind of narcissism which is far too normal. I also agree, though, that empathy is maybe not the highest, but it is absolutely <laughs> critical. Empathy and kindness for living well. Um, this concept of suspending your ego and larger than self, there's all kinds of context and it's a lot of semantics, but for sure, being able to empathize matters. And so how can we empathize with each other and with somebody who presents an opinion tactfully and push them or encourage them to explore it as, uh, as just an opinion, not actual fact or not even something, not, not even knowledge, really. I wouldn't call it knowledge at all. It's just a, just a concept, just an idea. How do we empathetically do that? Well, that's the preface to Jeff in a way, because I think that is Jeff's primary mission in a way to learn how to do that. I think that is one of the things he wants to be able to do better as a man and as a human. And it's brilliant to see that. And I really uh, strive to emulate that. In fact, empathy came up quite a few times in the conversation. The gender part, obviously, I was hinting at that a moment ago, is, you know, we, we talk about in the conversation men's groups and the fact, and it's a consistent theme that's actually been coming up a, quite a bit regularly um, in other conversations too. I think the, the work of David Data, the way of the spiritual or way of the superior man uh, is worth looking into. Also, Dear Lover, those are two books, The Way of the Superior Man and Dear Lover. I think there is great value in, well, no matter what, people need to learn. We all need to learn with whoever we are with. And I'm just going to leave it with what Ari has said. Ari, if you're not familiar, is my partner. She's a she. And... <laughs> Uh, she's a great she. She's a very, very powerful woman. Um, I think she's a very integrated woman. And I think the way that she says it really captures what I want people to consider about gender. So I'm, I'm going to read literally what she wrote here for me. I asked her to write something for me. Um, the short version here is that the, this is Ari now, 
The issue is not gender. The issue is stereotyping gender ideals and pressuring people to conform to those ideals. I'll say that again. The issue is not gender. That's the misconception. The issue is stereotyping gender ideals and pressuring people to conform to those ideals. The issue is not, in other words, masculinity. The last thing we should want to do is emasculate men. That's just as dangerous as suppressing and marginalizing women. The issue is placing greater value on masculinity or femininity, when actually they are both of equal but different value. Likewise, the issue is not femininity. The last thing we should want to do is make women more like men. That's just as dangerous, again, as suppressing and marginalizing femininity. Embracing both and realizing the spectrum that does exist in terms of what it means to be a man and or a woman, sorry, or a woman, is that the gender revolution is about, is what the gender revolution is about. It is not, if, it, if there is such a thing as a gender revolution, it is not about squelching masculinity or femininity. <clears throat> so, yeah, I take part in a men's group. <laughs> we talk about that. And thank you again, Ari. We talk about that, um, Jeff and I. And I find it incredibly valuable, and I know so do the men. And there's no doubt that other ways of engaging as men are valuable too. It's both. Both and is the key, not one or the other. Uh, there's a way that we've sort of simplified this with our in our group. That is to understand everything about gender as just a, a ratio of solidity and fluidity. And that ratio changes. It can change and it does change. And it's good to let it change. I think those are safer terms for right now than masculinity and femininity because the meaning of masculine and feminine is so unclear to so many. Uh, and we try not to even really wait, get caught up in those terms because we get so bent out of shape about them. So solidity and fluidity is to us a little more neutral. There's a solidity and there's a fluidity and a fluidity to how you are. And if you are just solid, I think we all know that's limiting and it's impossible to really grow and growth is critical to a good life and to life and if it's if you're just fluid it's also surprisingly hard to grow because you don't have anything to root down in you need both so again let's not get caught up in opinions let's explore I think Ari provides a really good template from which to explore. Okay. <laughs> That's a, <laughs> a hell of a preface, I know. Um, it'll, it'll come into play. You'll see. And if it doesn't obviously come into play to you during the conversation, it's something that I think is good for you to be paying attention to in general. And maybe the conversation... Had I not provided that preface, maybe you would have been wondering things that I know other people have been too. So 
I thought it was important to do that. And I think Jeff and I both agreed that might be good to do. Um, those, those, that wasn't his preface though. That was mine. This is his preface. He was kind enough to also provide his own little intro. So after he primed his heart, um, this is what came to Jeff. So I'll leave you with this and get into the episode. In Jeff's words, I have been super lucky. I have an Ivy League education. Um, I was a football recruit to Brown. And at this point in my life, I believe I can figure out how to do anything. I believe that environments rich us, enrich, sorry, rich in diversity of life, I apologize, are critical for human health. Every day I try to enrich the soils in my community. I'm on my way to becoming an urban gardener. I want to jump into and swim in every body of water I see. And I get really sad when the water is too polluted. We're all just walking each other home is one of my favorite quotes. It's either Rumi or Ramdas, and I'm not going to look it up either because it's fun to just wonder which one it was or somebody else who knows. Uh, I think it was Ramdas, but we'll find out. Somebody will look it up. I dream about coexisting with community people that live their lives in a way to receive the love and abundance of nature. That was his more formal preface. I'd like to add that he also wrote something about how um, it's a bummer that nobody's going to see how handsome he is, and I'll try to fix that for you. You can go up to Rhode Island and see him in person too if you want. Uh, maybe he'll give you his address. And uh, it's cool. Jeff has always done his own thing. He's never really had a regular or real job, which I find hard to believe because I thought he had a job when I met him. But uh, good for him. I love that. And I think that might be something we sort of have in common. And it was actually interesting for him to see that that's sort of a trait that's been passed down from his grandfather to uh, his own father. So it's a, one of those interesting traditions in his family on at least the men's side. All right. So that was a much longer preface and intro. Wish I had some kind of uh, fun little segue here for you. I guess why that all mattered is that Jeff's a really, he's a very thoughtful guy. He's a really, um, like I said, he's committed to his heart and to being an to living with empathy, and he's a delight. All right, I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Have a wonderful time. This is Jeffrey Mateus. Here we go. <clears throat> Chuck is, oh, yeah, we can do that. Do you want to close our eyes and take a moment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Let's, do, let's close do. our eyes. Oh, I like that. Are you going to talk me through it? Or we're just going to close our eyes for a moment. Yeah, let's just close our eyes. Okay.
All right. I admit I did I did peek once. It's good you this is where a video would be really helpful. We're not going to edit that out. We're going to keep that. And actually that's exactly how we start all the men's groups and I guess that's that's where this conversation is going to pick off from the wide open group that we well I've been engaged in for most of the year and somewhat through last year. Definitely informed by what I was going to bring up a moment ago, Mr. Chuck. I'm feeling tempted to call him Chuck. Chuck. Charles. Chucky. Charles. Did I tell you, I... I'm in a, in a class right now with Charles. There are 12 people in it, and he's, he's one of the participants. Yeah, that's exactly why I brought him up. <laughs> and he was um, a relevant topic of conversation in the last episode, too, with my friend Alex Tunigas, who's reading Sacred Economics and has been really getting into... Um, some of his older work in general, I think, uh, thought processes. So, yes, tell me about that class. It's exactly what I wanted to hear more about to start with. Well, first, I just I want to thank you for for putting me on to the idea of men's groups. I I don't think we've had a chance to necessarily talk about that, but I mean, I moved from Pennsylvania to Rhode Island about two years ago, um, just about two years ago, and. I don't know how long I had been up here, but you know, you invited me to participate in your men's group, even though I was states and states and states away. And I had never heard of a men's group before. And, you know, you pitched the idea of getting together and spending time uh, without our, our partners um, and going to a movie or uh, going to sit around a campfire. And I was just so intrigued and I really didn't want to be that open. tonight, actually. Yeah. What was that? We have the campfire tonight. Oh, that's beautiful. And so it was maybe five, five or six months ago, someone that I knew up in Rhode Island invited me to join a men's group. And um, I think because of your introduction to it for me, I was just so ready to be a part of that here. And um, I'm not actively participating in it at the moment um, because maybe we'll get into this, but I'm trying to find more stillness um, these last few months of the year and to uh, not have so many commitments in the evenings. Um, and the fact that we were just doing it remotely, um, I didn't want to have another Zoom meeting. But for the four or five months I was participating in this men's group, it had a profound uh, effect on my life and helped me get to the point where I felt good about uh, marriage. Um, and, and you got married. And, and I got married, yeah. <laughs> it helped me understand a lot of that stuff. Well, quick little, I guess, preface for men's groups and how I relate to it. So mm -hmm. I first got the idea, which is kind of predictable, out of a book called um, The Way of the Superior Man, which I read years ago, I think in 2009. And the author, I think, I think his name is David Data. I can't remember if you say Dida or Data, but mm -hmm. really intelligent guy, really thought-provoking guy. The book's very easy to read and pretty fun. And there's a chapter basically just about how men need time with just men, regardless of sexual orientation or any other ways of um, relating to oneself and identifying. You got to have time with your bros. Yeah. Yes. However you want to call it, whatever you want to call it. And, and likewise, women with women. He has a book um, kind of outlining that, their needs in similar kinds of ways too. And of course, growing up, 
duh, we did it. We hung out with our friends. We hung out with right. our classmates, our teammates, our group, and it was natural. And I think a lot of us realize as we quote unquote grow up, we both lose that and suffer as a result of losing that. Um, right. Speak for, unfortunately, really close to home. It's one of the main things that I've learned not to do with regard to both adulting and parenting. I don't think my dad has many male peers, and I think it's to his own detriment in terms of just quality of life. And yeah, I definitely see how that's normal for a lot of men. So years ago, I, I think it was 20, yeah, 2017, uh, like the summer of, I decided to really try to kick something off. And it's taken different forms. And what you're referring to is, of course, the Zooming that started in March, late March. Um, and then we gave it a name. And we call it Wide Open, the letter Y. I don't know if you know that part. No, I didn't. I, I like it though. It's our it's our play with <clears throat> being men, Y chromosomes. Wide, the Y chromosomes, yeah. Wide open. Mm -hmm. And we've really unpacked a lot. It's been extraordinary. We do it every week. Um, like you said, it is a commitment. It's an evening commitment because that seems to be best for a lot of people, uh, even in this unique year. But it's extremely energizing and um, clarifying every time, no matter what. I don't often want to even do it, especially because yeah. I, I more or less sort of facilitate. I don't, I don't think... I definitely don't lead anything. It's more of a facilitation, but I get every I get value out of it no matter what. And yeah, the why is a really cool. Well, we've essentially realized that the why is the integration of um, solidity and fluidity. The other way I I kind of like saying it is a solid foundation with uh, a willingness to adventure, a will to explore and go on adventure that's the fluidity part both you need both and you constantly need both yes and that's obviously what you've done and so marriage like obviously i'm curious about your work with charles both in the class and what you've been studying but yeah what what is what's on your mind marriage or that or well it, i mean with this the, the men's groups and adventure I, i've been going on a hike with a with a friend now for the just the past two weekends and you know i'm on a group text with him my wife and his partner and um you know other people wanted to come be a part of this hike and i said actually juan can it just be the two of us just just the guys we just go on this hike and, and see what happens and when we get there he's just like thank God it's just us. Like it's just so needed to have this time to, to, to just be, to just be, and, um, to, to be with, you know, we, we've been friends for about 10 years now and, um, really for the past four or five, I, I can't remember the last time we hung out like one-on-one. -on -one. And so, you know, it was just like that release from him was saying, just thank God. Like it was just the, that I had proposed that it was just going to be uh, a man's hike. So, um, so the obvious question is, why do you think for him, maybe even for you, and I could certainly add it for me, why do you think it's important to have that time, quote unquote, just men, or some might hear it as without women? Sure. 
Well, I, I think in this case, you know, sometimes even just like the, the logistics of having to coordinate with additional people and sure. that maybe that, that could be draining, um, perhaps especially for, for him. And so, you know, if, if all you have to do is just show up, you know, with just yourself and, and one other person, or I don't know, it just seemed like the elimination of extra variables was very healing or, um, helped, uh, helped him conserve or focus his energy and could just, you know, we could just be, um, friends again. Hmm. So it wasn't so much about there not being women. It was more just, this is simply let's you and me, let's catch up and let's not overcomplicate this for now. Anybody, Definitely. anybody yeah. else would have been. More. Yeah. I think anybody else. And then, um, you know, I was able to ask him about how, how he's doing, um, about how he's doing in his relationship and just it, talk about things that, um, I don't think we would have talked about otherwise. And so, you know, that, that wasn't my intention necessarily going into it, but we had that space together and we were in the woods and, um, these sort of things came up. And so it was, it was, it was so good. We decided to do it again the next weekend and <laughs> probably do it again this weekend. Excellent. Yeah. So then, okay. Is it, cause I'm very conscious of, we, we've actually discussed this quite a bit cause uh, in the, in wide open, cause some guys even like wonder, like, why can't we have women here? It's like, okay, let's continue to entertain that question. And of course, then you even have to wonder about like, people who have transitioned mm -hmm. all of this is real i don't have the answers but i do i do believe that if most people maybe all are honest with themselves they have multiple hats that they wear they're they play multiple roles it's all you're still you but you have different roles you have many different modes you get into and i think we devalue something almost to our to a fault of like not having time to just be, you could say, you could label it in a bunch of different ways, but certainly occasionally to just like blow off steam, vent, grunt, you know, scratch your balls, just be kind of sloppy and gross a little bit. I think I, I perceive that people, many people to their own detriment, try to suppress that need. And, um, it actually backfires. Like Ari and I encourage each other to allow those uh, moments of not being apart, but uh, allowing for that role to, you know, to feed that, that part of yourself. It's a part of yourself that it seems like we have a tendency to limit and maybe again, suppress to again to our detriment yeah. and it's not about not having people it's the fact that you you gotta allow for a certain aspect of yourself to stay alive right and it's not realistic for it to stay alive in every context you know like private and public life there's a there are distinctions it's you can't just be one way all the time Right. And uh, I, I feel that I feel that aliveness. And I think 
the other part of it being just men as far as I'm kind of as far as how I've experienced it being um, in my group is that it was an opportunity for us as men to to one open up to one another to be vulnerable and to have that be part of the the news story of masculinity for our larger communities and for how we interact with with other people in the world and so we were able to consciously come together be vulnerable cry um talk about things we maybe never shared with with anybody and then realize that we want to integrate this into our lives moving forward that you know the ideas that we're sharing here and and how we're sharing them we want that to be a part of not just in this small circle but in in the larger world and the way that our culture currently is set up there's there's the masculine there's the feminine femininity um i'm trying to understand those things from a a larger sense a a spiritual sense and i'm not sure but at least from a cultural standpoint um there there are roles and ways that men show up in the world and when a group of men can get together they can decide how they want to show up moving forward and so um i think that for me that that's why it was important to to just have it be uh just men um that's kind of where i'm at with it I like that. And there are two things that really stand out. Um, I'm not putting words, or not trying to put words in your mouth. I think it's just catalyzing a, a way of looking at it that is really clarifying for me. Um, I think we are unintentionally, and by no means is this like a hill that I'm like even wanting to die on. I don't think that's even necessary. It's just food yeah. for thought. There's, yeah. there's, an unintentional negation of our uniqueness. And it does come down to sometimes as men and women. And with that, there's value in recognizing our similarities, but the the negation of our uniqueness is problematic if you go too far for fairly logical, reasonable, uh, fairly logical reasons. It's not complicated to see how that could be bad if you go too far, negating our differences as men and women. And there's value in simply supporting, the part two is simply supporting, exploring how to be better as the unique kind of human that you are. Mm -hmm. So yeah, masculinity needs to evolve the understanding of masculinity needs to evolve as does femininity. And there is a lot of similarity, but there is also innate difference that is good. And to suggest yeah. that it's not good is very confused. It comes from a, I think rel- a fairly confused and excessive place. And um, you don't have to fight that to want to explore how to be better. You don't have to be fighting something to want to explore more and to go on that adventure which is why it's really not about taking a stand against anything that would be i think probably to you it would seem out of character which it would feel out of character for me it's it's not about that at all it's about the desire to explore how to simply consistently grow and be better but with that awareness of uniqueness that solidity there are there is a foundation we're not starting from nothing right yeah i think that the reminder 
it being an exploration is important uh, to say, why not? Let's, let's explore this, this space together in this particular way. Um, and yeah, so the, the men's group was something I picked up from you and then, uh, you know, lately picking up the idea of, or the reminder of, of play and, uh, and see, and how that, you know, interacts with, uh, how we carry ourselves throughout the day. Um, and so, yeah, I, I encourage that, that kind of exploration, um, big time. They kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. I like that you brought up play. I forgot that you've really, yeah, you've been, you've been telling me for a good chunk of this year, or at least like the last few months, how that's been popping up for you. That's standing out to you. I, I think that is kind of the same thing. The, the desire to explore, go take good, um, to integrate adventure. That is the play. And I guess that's just a perhaps more palatable way of wording it. Cause play uh, to call it adventure and exploration but really at its core it's play because the play as i see it is what allows you to maintain an open mind as right. a, and to not be attached to a particular outcome mm -hmm. that's the essential point right which is seemingly not i'm not sure what do you think is that do you know many people who are often operating that way <laughs> One of my, uh, yeah, really good friends and mentors, teachers, um, colleague now, her name's Kaylee Quinn. And, um, you know, she really embodies this idea of play all the time. I've been a, a teaching assistant for her now in, in a couple different roles. And um, the Is this the class of, you're in now? Uh, not, not the class that I'm in now. It was... Um, it was called Creativity and Leadership, um, and there was a summer at Brown program. And then uh, more recently, it was Introduction to Acting uh, at MIT, and I was her teaching assistant for that. Um, but, you know, every day that, um, you know, whenever she would give an assignment or a prompt, it was always, it was always sort of uh, prefaced with, you know, whatever this means to you. And it took me years and years and years to kind of open up to that because I'm like, what do you mean? What does it mean to me? It, it, it means something you're asking something people to do something specific here. And, uh, you know, when I really embrace the, the play and I don't think take things too serious, I think that that's a, a fantastic reminder to, uh, to offer to people to allow them to play, to, you know, ask a question, a prompt, but then to make sure that they, they realize that this thing is, it's whatever it means to you, because at the end of the day, it's only going to mean what it means to you. And so, or, or at least, you know, where, where you're starting with it, it's, it's your perception of, of reality based on your experiences that you've had throughout your lifetime. So of, of course, like that's, I, I love the, the openness and, and the reminder of, of that. Curveball here for both of us. You good okay. with this? A little curveball? Yeah, let's go. All right. So right now, and I, th I thought we would actually come to this later, but it's cool. Let's go with it. Um, I suspect you'd agree that for a lot of people to even entertain the the word, let alone the like take time to understand the concept and to to reframe their 
thinking and to even understand what the hell we're talking about. For a lot of people, that's probably an, un, an insurmountable um, idea. Like it's just beyond them at the moment. And I'm specifically referring to the ways that people are struggling at the moment. Many, seemingly. Mm-hmm. I, you just, I don't listen to much news normally and not, not for any real reason other than I'm honestly just usually just doing too much. I don't need to have that on. I don't want to. I don't make time for it. But I occasionally listen to something in the car and even just the short drive. I only I live a mile from here and the short drive over uh, you get the full rundown about how, of course, so many people are, you know, Christmas isn't going to be ever anything like it's used to be like it ever was for them. And they're barely able to pay the electric bill. And they're, of course, um, all of the struggles, like the concept of play and to even entertain like the idea that I have to do, I have to do what I have to not just like focus on getting my needs met. I guess the curveball is because I, I really care about relevance and helping everything, be, all of this be relevant to as many people as possible. How do you think we could connect the, the value of play? How do you think we could help people connect with the value of play or, or some other term if they're constantly in fear and worried about their getting their needs met? Hmm. Well, when, when a pitcher throws a curveball, I got to keep my weight back. So I want to <laughs> think about this for a second. Don't want to get out in front. <laughs> Take a moment. I want to acknowledge that you closed your eyes. I wish we were able to share the video, which eventually we will, but... Yeah, you close your eyes a lot. It's it's refreshing. Thanks. And for the record, I don't have the answer here. I'm asking yeah. myself too. <laughs> The question was, how can we remind people about the possibilities of play? I, the men's group, so stick with that as a context. We have a variety of um, life people. It's all men, but the lifestyles are different. The um, bank accounts are different. The uh, education is different. There's a variety. Mm -hmm. Of course, for the people who have stuck with it, there's a lot of similarity. There's a lot of overlap, but there's a lot of variety. Nobody's clearly like on the verge of some sort of um, eviction or they can't feed their children. So there's a, there's a group of people struggling with whom I don't normally interact, but I know they exist and I don't, I don't like when I think about how like f- unrelatable something that I'm presenting. I don't, I don't want it to be unrelatable to such a large group of people. 
it's a, cha- oh, it's a challenge for myself to just imagine like how could that be more relatable um well one, one thing that came to mind was you know you're talking about you don't consume much news you're you're doing other things maybe you'll listen to it in the car um but it's you know, I, I bet for many people that there is still an opportunity of where they're choosing to direct their energy. And perhaps my, you know, my suggestion here, something they can play with is instead of investing that energy, that time, whether it be on your commute or not, to redirect that towards something more playful. Um, you know, you can be creative in the car and instead of listening to the news, be super present with the hands on on the wheel and the see if you notice anything different about your environment today to um, to look around and see if there are any particular types of cars that drive by and when you see that that green love bug um, you know you, you shout something out to to the person in the passenger seat or you give them a little a little jab on the shoulder or something you know that to me um, I'm not I do not have kids um you know from what i've heard from you know conversations with many people the last few months it seems like a super challenging time to have kids um but i would also want to talk uh with you about that and maybe you have a different perspective on that um it could be a blessed time to to have kids and i think if i had kids i would i would approach it that way but again i'm not in that situation i do not know um i'm not on the the verge of uh, of an eviction notice of any sort, and so um, the the main thing that comes up to me is to just think about where um, energy is chosen choosing to be invested. You know, even for like people in, in my family who they have jobs, um, they're yeah, the, their routine is pretty much set. But you know, they're they're choosing to invest an incredible amount of time in the news and forwarding me newsletters and video clips of CNN yeah, and exactly. all these sorts of things. And, you know, telling me about how they just realized that the, the news stories they get on their phone are tailored to their interests and, but they are still choosing to engage with that, you know, day after day. And so my, my encouragement would be to um, choose play um, in those, in those moments where you just want to turn towards uh that thing that's not making you feel good after you do it, maybe. It's almost as if your prescription of play is an antidote to fear. You know, and I find this context very provocative because I've been poor in a conventional sense. Like I've Mm -hmm. been on food stamps. I've, yeah, me too. Basically been homeless before. So I I have a frame of reference, but I know that it wasn't I know there's a difference and it has to do with a few things. I was I still kind of had a safety net in my family no matter what. I still had and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. I was still always white, too. Mm-hmm. And I don't pretend to have any expertise in terms of how to discuss that um, you know, race in general. But in a, or specifically, but in a general sense, I do think there's a truth, there's truth to how poverty and fear go hand in hand. Of course, not to negate certain circumstances that people find themselves in, but there's a, 
I guess I'll um, jump to the main point that I'm realizing is that perception or that fear. I see people who are not in any conventional poverty state, but are acting out like they are. They live almost like they are. They're the way they present themselves to me is like you might as well be because of how obviously afraid you are of so much. And like I said, I had no no plans for what we were going to talk about. This is just where it's going. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> I feel like this is a, a warm up for uh, many many future conversations. <laughs> I, I hope we can, can. We will. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it might even just become like a can, like a, a loop with certain guests and so in certain conversations because it's we're all we're all unpacking the same juicy stuff. And I hinted at this being something I wanted to ask you about. So fear, the topic of fear. The way I see some people, and it is often white men, not entirely, but often, um, and some of them are our age, there's a, there's a lot of consistency, like I was saying about this kind of almost group that I'm observing. Mm-hmm. They talk about fear in, the way, in a way that seems very um, somewhat, well, somewhat ignorant and somewhat divisive. And the specific context that I hear them talking about it is you're all living in fear, AKA you're all sheep. And you need to realize that that's the problem. You're, you're giving into fear is the problem, not all these things. Don't, I don't give think in someone in fear is going to be very receptive to that. message. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably not. Yeah. But even the message I find really, I mean, it frustrates me. And it's it's yeah. a message that I see people hearing and, and latching on to. That's why I bring it up. Um, yeah, but go, what were you thinking? Go there. Sorry. Notification you got, you got brighter. Up. <laughs> where, where did Where's you your go? red light, man? Where did you go? There you are. <laughs> you hit the wrong color. <laughs> I hit blue. Blue. Is this yeah? You're getting a phone call. I think. Hmm. It happens. Does. Sorry. I I am using my my wife's computer, and it uh, happens. It happens all the time. If I get a phone call, it'll pop up on mine too. Yeah. Too lazy to disconnect it. I think you have to go through some kind of cloud thingy, majingy. Yes. But do you know where you were? Where we just were? Did you? Um, I, I, can you can you loop me back in? Sure, You're looping him back in. I got to make the sound effects for it. Sorry. Whoop. Perfect. He's back. Um, it's good you did that because I really didn't know what sound effect I wanted to make. Appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> I guess. Do you even do you see this at all? The the kind of conversation that I'm referring to, where people, it's it's the antithesis of what I believe someone like Charles Eisenstein is has been suggesting, which is, of course, there's a lot to be afraid of, but it's not a negation of those things. I see people negating and even suggesting that those things people are afraid of, and of course, I'm talking about. COVID. I'm talking about uh, economic stuff. I'm talking about totalitarianism and tyranny, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Though it's, there's a willingness for that I see some people having to 
suggest that those are things you don't need to actually worry about. Um, instead, <laughs> be a f- just don't be a sheep. And I guess the the primary question is, first off, do you even see that? Second, how do you relate to that? Um, I guess these are multiple questions. And... Yeah, I'll just say, like, I I find that willingness to be so conclusive, to have those kinds of conclusions, really disconcerting. Yeah, and I guess I bring it up because they're people like us. They're they're generally very educated, quote unquote, progressive, and again, <laughs> white men in our more or less age bracket. Yes. Do you? Maybe they don't exist in Rhode Island. <laughs> well. <laughs> I mean, when you when you made that comment uh, about you know, hey, you don't be scared of this thing. You're a sheep. Um, I don't That's, know if I've witnessed that you know in person anywhere uh, recently. But when you said that, like that sentiment rang very true to me. That you know, maybe it's from picking up you know comments on the internet or hearing things you know in various media sources and and whatnot. And it was really uh, off-putting to me and, and a turn-off. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that that's, that's not meeting people where they're at. It's, um, it's not, I, I don't think, I think there's very little empathy in, in that sort of approach to connecting with another person. And I think what I've been really trying to do um on a daily basis over the past couple months is just really work on my ability to to connect and empathize with other people and maybe when i close my eyes it helps me do that a little bit more and so i'm i'm continuing to to do that and um i'm just learning to uh to to feel my my heart more and that that's part of what my class um, that we keep referring to is called consciousness training. And, you know, it was really in that class that it, uh, brought me, brought me back to the possibility of asking a question to my heart and and listening to the feelings that, that arise from that. And so, um, yeah, the, the other things that sort of came up for me around this conversation is the, the idea of, or not the idea, but death and, and that i i think that uh yeah death humility um yeah yeah uh, let's talk about humility um you know for we just did on monday and oh really that was part of our yeah because i've heard a recently very provocative definition of it I forget okay. from where, but maybe it was from you. I don't remember. What's your definition of humility? Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I love how you always start with the, the roots and the, the meaning of, of the words a lot of times. Um, <laughs> it, for- is, it is a tendency. I do have that. Well, you know why? Because I think we all have such, um, there's such a variety of understanding at this point and somewhat, that's somewhat to our benefit, but also I think really to our detriment. And it's important that I, yeah. To me, it's important that we are aware of that. 
Absolutely. And I remember you texted, you're going to prime your heart. And it's like, ah, oh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, that he primed absolutely. his heart. <laughs> well, with, with the conversations um, happening more, more readily about, oh, Yeah, with the conversations happening about structural racism and, and racism and all these sorts of things, um, you know, the one sort of thing that I learned as a way to start the conversations are to define those terms, to make sure that the people you're trying to engage with yeah. have the same understanding or, um, you know, at, at least have that that foundation to to go off of. And so I love that you, you know, with, with humility, well, well, you have wait to wait a minute. Let humility. me let me think about that. I I, I haven't <laughs> thought about that. I, I I don't have the the definition off off the top, but I, I think it's to me it's understanding that um, I'm very very small and I don't have I can't possibly begin to know all the things and how they connect and that that's okay and um, that. I'm surely I'm going to learn things as as they come out of my mouth and and between the words that I say there's a ton of meaning there that I can try to discover but yeah if if I'm going to be humble I or have humility I am I'm going to put that I'm going to raise my hand ahead of time and say hey like I don't know all the things and and that's okay um and so I think for somebody to uh to go and say to somebody else, you know, you're a sheep. Uh, I think that that is really lacking humility. Um, and same thing for a person to listen to somebody on the news and uh, for that person on the news to act like they have this, this, grip over the the situation in the world infuriates me um for a reporter to get up there and say well these number of people have died and that this is spreading at this rate and all these sorts of things i i wish that every media appearance began with the idea of like we have no idea how human life on this planet can possibly exist it blows our mind to think that there are all these organisms, beings, life forms on this planet that are all interacting with one another in these just ways we have no idea of fully understanding. And that, that, that to me is, is humility. And then from there they can go and say, and my best guess is this is what's happening in the world. And um, I think I would have a lot more respect for the media if they... Uh, approach things that way essentially to have humility and the mm -hmm. definition here you want to try this on this is the the short version of i forget where it came from but i think it's really great um yeah. it encapsulates what you're <laughs> finding so what you're wanting more of and it's almost like you're describing how there's a deficit of humility mm -hmm. based on this definition which is the willingness and the desire to always be learning or to continue to oh. learn. Okay. So yeah. yes, what you said about small and relationship to it all, like you don't know, but 
I think that the specific point about wanting to learn and recognizing, like having the awareness that there's more to learn, I like that more because we can know. We are able to know. We have accomplished. We're, we can become, um, yeah, accomplished in certain respects, but it never stops and it, it shouldn't stop. It's terrible to think that the learning would stop. Right. And to remember that and to live with that awareness, I, I like thinking that's humility. Hmm. Like and it's a say it saves you, you know, because humble and human to be humble. I think we have these Im sometimes these images of how that person's going to look. And there's a, a meekness to it, as I perceive it. I don't I don't really like that. I think it's requ it requires a lot of strength, just like empathy requires a certain kind of strength. Humility does as well. A certain security with oneself. Like, Hell, yeah, I got more to learn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You don't have to look like a, a monk to be humble. And yeah, to have and humility, I, to live with humility. Yeah, and I think uh, connecting more with my own humility, I think, is what's allowed me to open up enough to to do this recording with you. Um, to not know that I have to come prepared with all these, you know, with, with the right things. I I'm okay with uh, putting this out here now and then evolving from there. And so I definitely uh, I've tried to record stuff with my wife and in, you know, a year or two ago and I couldn't do it. I shut down. I, I froze up. Uh, and now, you know, right now, what, it, what I'm saying right now is, is, is my best, my best shot. And, um, it's my best guess and it's what I'm, I'm feeling in the moment and I'm happy to put that out there and to, to go from there. Yeah. I was talking with a client actually, just this morning she's very engaged in it has been at least for a long time i think she's trying to take care of herself because it's been to the detriment of her own health she's very engaged in specifically venezuelan politics but generally south american and the yeah of course the interplay between all things um in that region and really the whole world but especially this country and especially russia and it probably goes a little bit here, there, and everywhere. And like I said, it's been to her physical health, the detriment of her physical health, and of course, mental well-being that go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So she's trying to back off and, and just let it let it be. But it, it's somewhat, the, the relevant and, and sad part is, of course, it's almost like she's very understandably throwing in the towel because as she sees it, like it's just the people who strive, who um, want power aren't humble. They don't have that humility. Yeah. You know, people like to say they're evil or something They're like, no, they, they really, they've lost that awareness if they ever had it. And unfortunately, I don't think that's all that unique. I think that's extremely, commonplace to not maintain the awareness that there's always more to learn <laughs> mm. i think that's tragically commonplace and for reasons that i i think we can understand i think it's easy to understand why that's commonplace but regardless for people like that to have a certain kind of power is obviously 
somehow that needs to change. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm learning in, in my consciousness training course that, um, you know, I, I can say all these things about having humility and wanting to start conversations from that place. But I'm, I'm learning in my class that also I need to not let everything just penetrate my, my energy field and, you know, and that I need to stand up for, for certain things or to uh, push back in, in, you know, in, in the right times or so, you know, I, I in, in the class, the, the teacher is walking us through seeing the, the energy field that expands around us. And every single time she reminds me not to let, you know, other things affect or, or just so readily, you know, penetrate that field that I'm just, I'm like, you're absolutely right. You know, it could be somebody else on, on the Zoom class that they make a noise or some something else in, in the environment or another person walks into the room and all of a sudden it's just like all that focus and concentration I had, uh, you know, sometimes it's there, but sometimes it, it gets disrupted because I'm allowing this other energy to, to shift how I'm feeling a little too fluidly or, or too quickly. And so, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, your, your client and how, you know, it, when you were talking about it, I was just like, well, when does, when does it become the, the time to fight um, to, mm. to stand up? And so I think at the same time as I'm trying to be, uh, have a lot of humility in my actions. I'm also learning that it's, you know, there are times to, to speak, to speak up or not to let these things affect me. And, um, of course that's yeah. the solidity and fluidity I was referring to. If you were, hmm. I mean, the humility kind of not to keep everything so categorical, but it's a little more yeah. in the fluidity category and mm -hmm. that's beautiful and that's good and that's valuable. But yeah, of course, without the solidity, you're just blowing in the wind. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think I tend to be blown in the wind uh, a bit more than I'd like. And so um, I'm learning to walk with a little more solidity. That's, uh, that's fascinating to me. Okay. Huh. Cause I know, you know, a few random facts about you, you live, you're in Rhode Island, but you've spent time in Rhode Island. You went to Brown, you played football. Mm -hmm. um, you're, a bit like me in that you present yourself. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen you in a long while, but I assume it's still, you're still, you still look pretty solid <laughs> in a conventional sense. And yeah, there's a togetherness that you, um, you carry. And yet that's something that's your, that's one aspect of how you relate to yourself is to think that you need, more solidity. Um, that's intriguing. Yeah, why, I, I, why do you think that you don't have that, that kind, that sense of solidity or that foundation? Why do you think you don't have that? Well, I think that the feeling comes from, uh, I, I have a lot of things, uh, that change as far as like my, you know, with, with my, the work that I do, the, like the digital marketing website stuff, I'm, I'm constantly learning new things and I I'll take on any challenge. And I'm so glad that 
I have the ability to do that. Um, but it's also not having uh, solid enough boundaries or uh, not having ever really established a, what I'm thinking of as a set of dynamic boundaries that, that are a little fluid yet in existence, you know, it can, can lead me to, to be burned out, to be drained, to not ultimately spending my time doing the things that I really want to be doing. And so I, I think that's where that feeling comes from of not being, uh, you know, as together or solid as, as I want. But, you know, just recently, um, you know, I'm sharing this story with you about myself now, but, you know, I just, I just went on a, a Joe Dispenza deep dive yesterday and uh, wondering about uh, thoughts and, um, you know, e Colin, even your, the, the face you made when, when I said that name, that <laughs> penetrated my energy, that, that threw me off. And, and so, um, yeah, I was going to say, though, you know, really trying to. The faces we make, they, they cause so much. We have to be careful with our faces. Yeah. I try not to read into my face. I mean, I'm let, I came back to a smile as fast as I could. So <laughs> tell me, <laughs> what is yeah, it? Well, but what's it, your relationship with Dispenza? And what is well, a deep dive? I was going to say, like, in, you know, instead of, I'm really, I'm trying to embrace the idea that, you know, if, if I work on, on my thoughts and, you know, the way that I think about my work and the way that I talk about my work, that I'm going to have a better experience with it, or I'm going to have the experience that I want to have with it instead of the pattern that I keep repeating over and over and over with the, you know, what ends up being a large portion of how I spend my time and, and my days. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't want to keep repeating that story anymore. And so that was something that I learned from uh, this new person I've discovered named Joe Dispenza. Got it. Yeah. The way you just described, because I haven't done any kind of dive, not, a, not even a shallow one. The way you just described his work, I've seen the books and I've seen his pictures and I have occasionally caught uh, snippets of him talking, but it sounds a lot like Feldenkrais and general somatic education where you, your primary objective, whether you realize it in the beginning or not, is to become aware of the, the potential to choose how you organize yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like in exactly in a more or less absolute sense, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps not, actually absolutely like a hundred percent but at least more than you previously imagined and that is to say you have choice so he if that's the if that's an accurate oversimplification then cool yeah um i think to be completely frank my face when i heard his name was really just a matter of like the people that i associate with him that have been that have come and gone in my life <laughs> who I know have taken a, some form of a dive into his work as well. Um, yeah. There to be, yeah, to be perfectly candid, there are people that I, I don't want to have a relationship with. That's for sure. I, uh, and I, I don't know anybody <laughs> and not even, you, you don't even know 
uh, you know, you, you just said you haven't experienced much of what he's put out there, but I was really curious about it because um, he talks about how the thoughts that we have can influence our physiology. And I've experienced firsthand how I've done certain things with my body through breathing exercises, through ice, through pushing myself in different sports contexts that it's changed my physiology. And um, I want to know more about that. And so that's, that's why I was really curious to, to continue listening to really understand, well, you know, he talks a lot of, one of his books is about the placebo effect and yeah, I've heard other doctors talk about the placebo effect and I'm really intrigued by that. And he gets to the point though, where he says, well, do you really need the pill? Do you need that to pop that, that pill in order to have this experience of placebo? And it goes on to just say that we can cultivate these, uh, these states of beings through our thought that allows for those physiological changes to happen just just through thought and you know i think about i think about wim hof standing on stage and having his hand uh project the, the thermal temperature of his hand projected on screen and he's able to change the temperature of his hand in front of the entire audience just using his thought going into the mri machine getting swirled in in a in a jacket full of ice and you know, with nothing other than thought, able to change his temperature. I think about him uh, in the death zone on uh, Mount Everest and uh, wearing nothing but his shorts, lost in a blizzard, and is able to be in just some sort of state of being where he's able to get back to base camp and, and be okay and, and tell the story about that. And so um, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm really interested in our human physiology and how we can alter that in ways that aren't common in our American culture or in at least the, the culture I've experienced. Try not to have too many facial expressions there. I mean, look for you. <laughs> no, for I, you I, and... <laughs> I, I wanted to acknowledge that when yeah. I was just talking about not letting things like, you know, shape my, my energy too much. And when I saw that face that that happened, I was, I was off, off my rocker and all these <laughs> other things started to happen in my mind. And I, I do not want to be that way. Uh, at the same time, I said, I, I want to be, I'm working to be more empathetic, to connect more with other people. And um, yeah. Love it. Love it. All of it. You know, I mean, obviously, Wim is close to my, you know, he and I are very close in a practical sense. Um, here's the, this is, this was the, the foundation for that face and that my general sort of tone or take on a lot of that. First off, of course, of course, like, you and I, that's a foundational understanding for everything about how we live. Um, you and me, it's like specifically the way I think you and I live. And yeah. it is a foundation for one of the main tools that I studied for many years, the Feldenkrais Method. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people get into Dispenza's work with Feldenkrais, they get in um, or from Feldenkrais. And there's a, so much similarity and so much general 
like the idea that thoughts can influence your physiology. I want that to be mainstream fact. I want that to be not just an idea, not just a concept, not just a, um, a thing that some people pay attention to and others don't. I want that to be part of the educational model for at least this country, if not the species. Mm-hmm. Power to that, 100%. Because it's, it's undeniable. Like I know that's true. And so yeah. do you. There's no yeah. denying that. Yes. <laughs> the question is simply, and it's, it's not like anybody's doing anything bad here by not necessarily acknowledging this footnote. It's like, to what extent is that true? In other words, there's still a context. Wim worked for decades to be able to do that. It wasn't just pop it on stage and all of a sudden, here I can do this, mad, this amazing, seemingly magical, mystical feat. The work is rooted in decades of discipline and focus. And that was the case with, with Moshe. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the case with Joseph Dispenza as well. I think it's important that there's a footnote to all of this, which is you got to work. You got to want for the your neuro your for the nervous system to first off kind of <laughs> level out you said be still and then build in a new way you have to want that it, yeah. don't think it can just the idea that it can just happen that there's a silver bullet like that's what bugs me that's what irks me and sometimes i perceive it that there's that people hear it that way and or it's presented that way. And I think it's really, I think the onus is on people to simultaneously want to inspire others and acknowledge like there's, there's a lot of discipline that goes into this and you got to commit. Yeah. Well, he said the, the hardest thing is to make time to do these practices, um, mm. to, to do these, to, to learn these, these, these concepts and to rewire your, your brain in, in that way. And so well, and that it takes time. Yeah. Time making the time and it takes time. Right. Right. And there's also, um, um, this is back to the consciousness training class, learning about coherence of, of heart and, and body and mind and having all these things being in sync at the same time. And, you know, they, you, that is something that can be measured and that those shifts can happen in the matter of minutes, if, if not seconds. And the, there's still, I think a, a practice to, to learn how to do that. But I think that those changes can, the, that there are things that can happen quickly um, and that not everything has to be, you know, hard. And Yeah. Let me back up. I don't want to make, I think that the idea that work, I should I should clarify. I don't mean hard. In fact, I think it I eventually does become easy and simple. I guess it's more accurate to simply say that I'm I just think here actually, you know what? Maybe it is easy. Maybe it isn't hard. The question is really just what's confusing anyone or confusing us and 
people who like whim they're not getting distracted by <laughs> their the the commitment to this process and staying um choosing how to let your thoughts and physiology and your heart and everything be organized a certain way i guess i just think that it's important that there's a acknowledgement that it um it does it requires a commitment it doesn't this is for it to be a sustainable shift in how you experience yourself and life um it, it just takes a commitment the key question though again is why what gets confusing or what gets quote unquote in the way and that's where i think it's actually really fascinating is like the possibility that like the, the awareness of how your thoughts and your physiology go hand in hand could be the norm as opposed to like the thing that's behind the, the neat door over there. Yeah. It could be the norm. Like that level of awareness, self-awareness could be how we primarily live our life. Right. That's exciting. <laughs> it is. It could be the norm. So... Yeah, of course, I support all of this. I, this is how I live and more or less what I do all the time. Yeah. Um, I think it's just that my, it, it, I take full responsibility that to some extent I am interpreting certain people as suggesting that there's a silver bullet. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's any silver bullet, I was actually just reflecting on this uh, this week forget why but if there is any silver bullet i think it is awareness of your habits and i would especially say your thoughts that's the silver bullet i, I think it's just context is key because if you put whim i bet even if you put whim in like a i like how your hand did your hand just go to your heart or is that in the mic, uh, on the mic. <laughs> like if you put whim in a it's it's almost like sacrilegious to say because it seems so mean but if you tested him by putting him in a room that was like all white and the temperature obviously doesn't matter but a room that's like really kind of there's to what extent can you deprive someone and eventually you'll see i think you'd have i think inevitably you would see like there are contextual um, requirements for the ability to keep your self, your thoughts uh, supportive of, of your physiology. It'll, you, know, you can, there are limits, like you need the environment to support it as well. Yeah. The, the the word environment came to mind when you're yeah. talking about that, but also, you know, why, why put that, that constraint on us? You know, why well, not I guess my point is I think we do unintentionally, mm -hmm. like the environment has to change is I guess what I was getting at. Yeah. I, I think that the environment is, has a huge influence on, on our thoughts. So that, that is extremely important and uh, this idea of being in this sort of white sterile room, uh, 
<laughs> it's a random example. <laughs> no, it just uh, it reminds me of uh, yeah of the kind of world that I that I don't want to live in. Of course and, not. But it, I guess the more at home example is like even the urban monk needs to take a retreat. Yeah. Like there is a objective environmental, there are objective, there's sort of rules to how the environment supports you. You can't just have complete, like be in a completely white room or completely gray room or a room that isn't inherently supportive of your physiology and just have your thoughts be the only thing supporting your well-being. I think inevitably, no matter who you are, and I don't think that's in putting, I don't think that I'm putting a limitation on a human in that way. I think I'm acknowledging like that's important too to recognize. Yeah. Like thoughts are limited. It's environment the environment is critical. It, it the environment is critical and it makes me think that like, all right, well, you know, it's probably no different than trying to break the world record for being in an ice bath. Like that are, <laughs> you can you have your thoughts, but they after two hours, you're done. You know, you got to get out. You have to change your environment. And so yeah, I, I think that's that's a great point that you bring up about there being limits and uh I don't know if it's a great point. It's sort of a moot point because the bottom line is we want people to recognize their potential is much greater than they normally live with. And that's, that's enough. But privately with those of us who are already on that train, if you will, and are already like committed to um, wellness, real wellness, I guess I just like to have that clarity. Like I, we've got to also like make sure this environment is supportive of our lifestyle yeah supportive of our lifestyle and doesn't you know harm us or create stress um you know it's not the you know for a lot of times for wellness to occur i found it's not the addition of something else but it's the you know removing something that's causing harm um you know in order for there to be progress Like red lights. Yeah. Yeah. Where'd your red light go? It went off. The battery went out. I got to charge it. Hmm. I do like it. I do like it. That's probably why I was thinking about the silver bullet because I decided to take a that step with the red light. And I guess I wanted to remind myself, like, just it's okay. Like I'm not, you're not relating to this. Don't get, don't get into the mindset that this is a silver bullet. This is the quick fix. You know, that's actually the problem because I know in America, people want the quick fix. That's, that's why I get a little fiery about this. Yeah. Good. (laughs) I'm glad we we worked this out. (laughs) (laughs) This is me fired up. Yeah. I get fired up. I think it's good to get fired up. Me too. Yeah. Well, it helps me have a better sense of that solidity and fluidity, quite frankly. It's like, yeah, that was a little too fiery. No, not fiery enough. Not fiery enough. Yeah. I, I want to have uh, a little bit more fire in my, in my interactions <laughs> too. And I feel like, I feel like I got fired up at, at one point earlier in this conversation uh, I can't remember about what, but you did. Um, no, you did. It stood out to me too. You you almost cursed. What was? Um, 
it'll come to me. I, I know it, it actually, I, I was intrigued by it too. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've been taking, uh, I've been reading a lot about gardening. I've been taking gardening classes. I've been a teaching assistant for an online gardening class. One of the great things about uh, this move to things online is that, you know, I'm able to interact with teachers that normally wouldn't teach online. And so, you know, able to, uh, access to, to different ideas from different teachers. And so um, this one teacher, uh, Farmer Rishi, um, he has brought me back to uh, knowing that I am not separate from nature. So even if I am a, a monk in an urban environment that, or, you know, there's no, you know, quote unquote nature in the city that actually I connect with nature every day because I myself am nature and I'm always surrounded by nature and there's no such thing as artificial. Everything in this world comes from nature and is nature. And so um, that is something that I wanted to, to share as well. Cause I, I've heard you use the word, you know, nature a, a few times in this conversation. And so uh, recently that's something that's firing me up is, uh, understanding that it's not that human beings have a disconnection from nature or that I was disconnected from nature. It was that I had disassociated myself with nature. And I think that understanding of, of the, the language there is really important. The, um, the disconnection versus disassociation, because ultimately I am nature. Every part of my body was birthed from the soil. And so was everything else. And that's where, that's where I'm at now. I feel like I've sort of been dancing around Chuck here, this whole show with you or this whole episode with you. And he's, he's always there in the background for me because well, what were you going to say? I, I mean, his, his work is, uh, no, finish your thought, please. I'm sorry for interrupting. Well, he wrote a I think two, I don't remember. I don't think the third one was really as profound or as, as really in depth, but he wrote two very, very worthwhile essays early in this pandemic, so to speak, in lockdown. And once everything shifted for at least us in this country, mid-March, the first one I think was the coronation. The second one was called the myth of separation. I know you and I really started to talk, like reconnect as well, like re started to talk more again after um, both of us, I think, read them. You read them, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the myth of separation, you're basically speaking to that right now. And it's, mm -hmm. it's such an important <laughs> foundational, not concept, but fact. There is no objective separation, period. Period. And... That is I mean, the effect of that quote unquote myth, the effect of that way of thinking and that misunderstanding or even just lack of awareness is uh, hard to quantify, but it is relevant to everything. Mm -hmm. 100%. And it's such a great essay. And obviously, um, yeah, I'm just curious specifically what his contribution is to this class uh, that you're in, because you said you're both in this class, which you still haven't really 
I guess I don't know the name of that one. It's not conscious training. It's something else. No, it, it is. It's it's consciousness training. Consci- uh, oh, oh, I, oh, okay. So that's the one. Then. Yeah. Um, well, I think the the separation causes us and and causes me uh, to have fear to live in a state of of or to honor or give energy towards scarcity it's the perception of separation though right not that separation not the actual separation but the perception of yes yeah the the perception of um leads to the disassociation which leads to not understanding the the abundance that is possible from from nature if we are in alignment with the flows of its energy and and work with it instead of against it instead of you know stop doing the things that are causing harm and from there there will, there will be healing because we're naturally healing machines i don't um uh, what am i talking about naturally healing machines i don't i don't like i don't like what i said uh, <laughs> delete, I, delete 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 um yeah all, all these all these different ideas um well here i think this might be part of what you were saying that we're inherently there's an inherent unavoidable sort of harmony if you there's a way of life which isn't theoretical. It's hence Wim Hof, hence Dispenza, hence all these people. It's not a theoretical way of life. It's a proven way of life that you can discover for yourself. I think if we're if we're living with the flows and patterns of nature, if we're in alignment with those things, then life is easy. The term hard choices, easy life is no longer relevant. That that phrase is only supportive <laughs> of our modern culture and you know the circumstances that we we find ourselves in and within society. But if you remove all the all that cultural stuff, life is easy and um, it is abundant. And we are again nature and can fully participate in that and um this is just uh something that i've learned more and more through uh through gardening and understanding myself at uh, understanding the role of a gardener and how that relates to how i can live my my life too that was a tactful uh shout out to our (laughs) some of our (laughs) foundational well, connections here but well i yes and i do you mind if i go you're because it's less of a obviously it's not like you're really like a guest i'm not interviewing you we're we're dancing here so yeah that quote speaks to the exact i think point that we've been making this entire time or that we've been exploring this entire time there's a you, know, you use the word abundance and scarcity and all of these terms that I know how certain people react to. I know how certain people will just like immediately jump on. 
I can I could write out their entire thought process. It's so freaking predictable. Okay. It's it's obnoxiously predictable. And it's but it's rooted in that kind of thinking, which is that life is hard. Being human is something you need to you need to recognize that you have to control your shit and conquer yourself and get on it or else there's going to be chaos. You're going to succumb to your vices. You're going to be a messy, slobby, vile um, monster out of control and everything's going to get a shit unless you dominate yourself and dominate what's around you and be in control and stay on top of it because inevitably if you're not careful everything's going to fall apart it's going to be chaos 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 yeah and I, I think maybe that's what you know eisenstein points to in his essay is this idea of trying to control everything that's the entire civilization that's the entire story of for the most part what we call western civ it's certainly a foundational story to our myths and yeah. it's the fact of the matter is in 2020 i mean it didn't require us to get to 2020 but we we know that's not more than a story mm -hmm. at least some of us do not enough of us do which is another good quote of or the other the the one that i do like the what is enough question i do like that one from our it's boy from from lao Tzu. <laughs> yeah 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 and um obviously jersey kind of really champions it oh yeah and yeah because yeah what is enough what if what if enough of us and we're talking about what we believe about human nature like people believe that human nature is to just fall into a depraved state of chaos and anarchy and just selfishness and greed etc cetera, etc cetera. and we have to control ourselves and conquer ourselves and control what's around us and if we don't then heart of darkness baby well, I just had this. I just had this image. I would like to challenge people to go to a tropical climate and try to eat all the bananas that are just growing everywhere. <laughs> you can't do it. You cannot eat all the bananas. There are an abundance of the bananas, and so there are all these sort of things that just the they're myths. The world wants they're to myths. produce and grow, and you know, I think about being in New England here and when it hit me that if I didn't do anything to the front lawn, a forest would grow here. I don't know how many years it would take, five years, 10 years. And so why are we- Probably less. Yeah, it probably less. And so why is so much energy spent literally on, on fuel, electricity, on uh, manufacturing things to fight this energy instead of using our gifts as humans to witness to understand how these things are moving and then to to shape them to direct them into ways where not only are there uh pawpaws for me to eat but there's pawpaws for my entire community and they're cold hearty and they'll they're delicious and why not play uh with that instead of trying to control the blades of grass to to see weeds popping up and to go and dominate them. And instead of understanding their purpose to try to enrich the soil and that we can do that too. And so um, that's, that, that's something that's firing me up too. Good. And that is exact power. Uh, we're clapping on this end. <laughs> we're clapping. That, that's what the 
connection to your thoughts and your environment. That's exactly the whole point. Adding that, like, yes, thoughts and environment, both like inner, like outer. And it's what you're describing is essentially the, um, the best understanding of permaculture that there is. And I think you, yeah, right. Permaculture, you're well, yeah, per- permaculture, yeah. regenerative agriculture, but it's, uh, indigenous land management wisdom and knowledge that uh, right. needs and to they, be brought more into the conversation. The requirement is for us to recognize that the degradation of the one mirrors a way of thinking. Yeah, if mirrors you soil, a soil. You hurt yourself. Yeah, there's but to literally. Every time I say literally, I really emphasize the T. It's kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. I know him. <laughs> to to let that sink in that it isn't it isn't the soil. It's a reflection of how you relate to yourself. Okay, like yeah, so it's a mirror. It's a reflection, and that is the foundation for. I'm I'm not anti much, but I'm certainly not pro-capitalism in the sense that it's just about continuing to win and win and strive for more and more at the cost of anything because that's fucking ignorant (laughs) yeah it's fucking ignorant and it's not how it has to be so to think that it's just that or chaos is so goddamn immature and try and and blind. Um, it's fascinating though how that's that's how it that's how that's what runs the show. That story. That's the story that runs the show. Yeah. Um, so what yeah. you're yes yes to letting our lawns be food forests. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. I have to go. I told you I was going to run out of time and I knew it would. I'm actually already well into when I, I should hit the road. Um, I got to get home for Griffin. Yeah, please. please. Uh, I will. But like you said, part one of many of the, the Jeff and Colin chat. Yeah. Um, maybe eventually we can, you know, we could easily have more people on. I'm curious what what that would look like. I've been, I want to, after I finish this quote unquote season, have a couple people on at once. So we could do that too. Yeah. Let's explore it. Let's, let's see what happens. Um, I really appreciate, you know, being able to share some of these ideas with you and to, I want to listen back to this and and learn from myself and uh, yeah, continue to have these conversations with you in the future. I, uh, I said in the beginning of this that, you know, I felt, uh, I felt the, uh, yeah, I edit that part out. <laughs> I just you felt the love. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I felt the love when I, when I listened to your podcast the other day and I, uh, yeah, I appreciate to being able to continue the, our, our exchanges and, in real time uh, through this amazing technology that connects us um, from, you know, completely different places, but at the same time is, uh, 
is representation of our the possibilities of connectedness. If you if you had told me that they're gonna wire every house in the world to one another, I said no way. How can you connect all those things? But the, the fact is that that happens, <laughs> and that we're absolutely connected in all these other ways too. So, thank you, my brother. We are, and it's yes. Thank you. Well said, and I'm grateful for you too. Thank you. Grateful for you. Glad we know each other, Jeff. I will speak with you soon. This is fun. I think we'll leave it at that. Yeah, that was a good way to leave it. I don't need to add anything. Thank you. Thanks, Colin. I'll see you. Bye. And there you have it. Looks like you're going to hear from Jeff again, right? Looking forward to scheduling part two with him. Thank you, Jeff. Miss you down here in Philly. Glad you're doing well up there. And glad we, like you said, we can take advantage of this wonderful technology. All right, that was a long intro, I know, so I'm going to have you a short outro here for you. Um, leave you with, with a little whistle, because uh, why not? And thank you. Look forward to seeing what you have to say about all that. And especially with regard to the intro. Again, the I think that putting the two together helped because... We touch on a lot of things, but we don't necessarily, well, it was a little, it was a relatively shorter amount of time, so we didn't fully uh, flesh out certain things and unpack them as much as we could, but that intro was my attempt to do that a little more fully, and clearly, I hope, Jeff and I will do it again soon and go even deeper, if you will. Keep up the consciousness training, Jeff, and thanks for joining me. See you soon. See you all soon. Be well. Until then.